much that I needed to know about what Daniel LaRusso and, and Johnny Lawrence were doing 35 <laughs> years later, but yeah. I'm glad I do. Dude, I'm halfway through season two, and dude, and when Crease shows up, you're like, oh, shit. I know. <laughs> Something for you, but it, it gets gotcha. pretty wild. It better be Carl Weathers showing up. <laughs> so, all right, well, why don't we get started? Um, welcome to Something to Do, a podcast devoted exclusively to discussion and devotion of two of our favorite bands, Husker Du and The Replacements. Each episode, we'll be nerding out about all aspects of two of the most influential bands in the pantheon of American rock acts. I'm Jude, and this is my co-host, Greg. What's up? I, chillin', man. Chillin'. So, yeah, we, we exclusively talk about who's doing the replacements, but there's no room for any. I mean, this is an exclusive thing. So today, of course, we're talking about the Foo Fighters <laughs> <laughs> and their 2011 album, Wasting Light, on Roswell Records slash RCA. Yeah, if if I were a lawyer, I would make the case that the the uh, little intro rap that I just provided this week weren't really underlining the influential bands in the pantheon of American rock acts a- aspect of that, right? We're like, you know, kind yeah. of getting. Go ahead, Greg. Agree. No, I was saying I I agree. Like, um, and like we talked about, um, well, for I mean, for a couple of reasons. One, I want this to have this podcast to have a long shelf life, yeah. and if we like blow through the entire catalog you know then what else is left but also the stuff that we're going to highlight is important yeah and and it is related as mm -hmm. you'll see when we talk about you know dive a little further and something we talk about on each episode when we're purely talking about Husker Du or a sugar record or you know uh, replacements record or whatever um you know we always kind of get into ways that a song or an album or like artwork or like influenced something else um so this this week we're kind of coming at it from a, a fun perspective from kind of the other the other angle ways that right. influenced that um, we're influenced by yeah. uh in in this case i would say you know especially bob mold and and husker do yeah. um in particular uh and i can't wait to do a goo goo dolls episode dude <laughs> for for uh any of the records, but really for um, superstar car wash. But I digress. So, Jude, <laughs> what's what's new? So, uh, yeah. So first, um, a quick schedule change. Um, we took a we switched to every other week, and then we, uh, for personal reasons, ended up taking a week off. So, I guess it's been about a month, right? Yeah. By it's the time nice this drops, time, yeah. it'll be about four weeks. So we decided that we wanted still try to do two a month. Um, but at minimum it will be one a month, um, for a lot of reasons. I mean, Jude, with your work schedule and everything, my work schedule is crazy. And as we've talked about, I have another podcast called where it went, which is very uh, awesome. Thank you. We're diving into the revelation records catalog. And, uh, that one takes up a lot lot of time, a lot more time than I, um, thought just because that's much more interview based. Um, so scheduling interviews and, um, you know, all, all that stuff is, takes a lot of time. So, uh, you know, we pledge to just get one or two of these out a month and it'll be a surprise. I'll, I'll give a little warning on our social media, you know, to let you know what's, what's coming. But like, even as far as like release dates and stuff, like we're keeping this real casual, real loose. So it'll be a nice surprise 
when it shows up, you know, but make sure you subscribe. And um, especially now with having where it went, I'm realizing it's, it's really important to subscribe. If you like a podcast, subscribe. You know, we do this as a labor of love. Yeah. So leave a review on iTunes. It, it matters. And it, it does. doesn't cost you anything to do. Yeah, we, we really appreciate it. Anyone listening at all, um, we deeply appreciate. Um, as Greg's, you know, said before, we're just two old friends talking about stuff that we love. Um, and it's really exciting to us that folks are eager to listen. That's great. Right. Um, and so it's just, it's, you know, spread the word. Let people know about this podcast. I think, I think that, you know, there's definitely people that probably would enjoy the podcast that are fans of this kind of music that don't know we're out there. So if you know somebody that's into cool stuff, likes Husker Du, likes the replacements, tell them to listen, get them to subscribe. Um, like I said, it's free. Oh yeah. Um, also another, uh, uh, what's new segment. So Bob's got a new record out, Blue Hearts. And if you haven't listened to it yet, please listen to it immediately after this podcast because it's awesome. Yeah, it's, I mean, we knew it was going to be awesome. Yeah. But it's, it's just, and for right now, the climate right now, it's perfect. It's, it's almost like, you know, I, I don't want to talk too much about it because yeah. we want to save uh, that for whenever we do that episode, which we'll spoiler alert. Now that's going to be the next episode. <laughs> that, that's all right. right? Yeah, I we're think not, that's, we, yeah. we're not ahead of the presses on that yeah. one. So um, that's going to be our next uh, episode. will be to talk about that album. Um, give people a little bit more time. You know, originally I thought, Oh, it'd be cool if we had it like right when the album dropped, but this will give everybody kind of a little more time to live with it, mm -hmm. including myself. Yeah. Um, to get to really absorb it and pick your favorite tracks and talk about it. So I'm excited for that one. Me too. Um, what else we have? So we have, um, you know, like we already said, thank you for the support. We got a really cool email. Yeah. Thank you so um, much. Which if you want to contact us, you can either direct message us on Instagram. Um, that's at something to do uh, podcast. Uh, on Instagram, um, you can email us something to do podcast at gmail.com. Uh, or uh, we do have a Facebook at something to do. So you can message us there. So we got a, uh, in response to our file under easy listening episode, we got a really awesome detailed, uh, you know, analysis of the album from a listener named Graham Sutherland. Mm -hmm. um, so thank you, Graham, uh, so much. I mean, he broke down all the songs. Um, it's super cool. If, yeah. if he gives, if he gives us permission, which Graham, if you're listening, let us know, I would like to, uh, share the document on, um, you know, Instagram slide. Yeah. Uh, if he's, if he's okay with it. So Graham, let us know. We'd love to share it because we think that this other people should see this. Uh, it's super cool. We appreciate it. Um, and yeah, I'm excited to do Copper Blue uh, in the future as well. And uh, good good choice on a favorite track with Explode and Make Up. Yeah. I like, I like it. It's a little different. So yeah, thanks, Graham. So next up we have uh, 
do you remember d spelled du the extra do is for more husker do um so uh this is where we go through some corrections so last week i referred or last week last time we um recorded an episode i referred to a ben fold song as the r word we were kind of um having a discussion about the use of that word in a song on tim um and it's actually it's not what the song's called it's called bad idea okay and then the other correction uh well not even a correction but uh just kind of an addendum is that uh justin blake uh let us know that when we when we talked about tim we mentioned how swinging party was the most you know streamed replacement song and we yeah. were like was it in a movie like what and he let us know that uh lord the pop singer actually did a version of swinging party uh on an a deluxe edition of her album pure heroin uh, and he he says you know and it's funny i got the email and i was like i gotta listen to it and then i got sidetracked as i often do like uh you know chasing squirrels like a dog chasing squirrels you know <laughs> um and uh but he says, I got to say, it's pretty great. She's one of the best pop acts going. Anyone that knows me knows I love pop. So I will have to check this out. Yeah, um, me too. Because, you know, I feel like I heard her mention Fugazi before. Like, she seems like she's a little bit dialed in. So. Yeah. And on a related note, somebody, I, I feel like it was around the time that, that the Pure Heroin record came out. I don't really know Lord that well. I definitely want to check, check her stuff out. Um wasn't there a, a like Nirvana performance where she sang one of the songs? I think so. I think she kind of um, connected to the theme of this episode. Yeah, I think when they did the hall, was it when they did the Hall of Fame uh, thing? I think so. We'll and have to research sang, it after yeah. this. Listeners, feel free to yeah. to chime in and call us. Yeah, out. We, you know, we're not gonna. We won't research. We'll let people call us out so they can get a shout. Cool. Sounds good. I like it. I'm still going to research it. <laughs> I'm going to look it up on YouTube. But still, if you know the answer, uh, if she sang, I know that it was St. Vincent and yeah. uh, I've got to forget who else. Kim Gordon. Like okay. It was cool. They, they, they purposely got all uh, female singers. Yeah. All right. Well, maybe we'll get on to the Foo Fighters record. Yeah, so, I'm I'm excited for this one. I'm going to be honest with you. Yeah. Um, so I'm let's, too. I, I got a bunch of notes. So Jude, what's your background with? Um, since 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 this isn't a Foo Fighters podcast, so it's not like we're necessarily going to be talking about any of the other records. You can speak real generally on on Foo yeah. Fighters. You know. Yeah. Uh, what your background? If you have any favorite albums and all that good stuff. Yeah. Now I know, in advance that one of us is a bigger fan than the other, which is why we thought this would be kind of fun. Kind of fun, yeah. So my background with this particular record is that I don't really have one. When it came out, you sent me, so this kind of, you know, sh remembering this time in um, music listening, you sent me the MP3s and I downloaded them onto my iPod um, and listened to them there. Um, so I think Dave Grohl is an amazing songwriter. I think he's an amazing artist. So the first Foo Fighters record when it came out and like for many years afterwards was huge for me. Um, that song Watershed is killer. This is a call was killer. That, that record's awesome front to back for all the cows. I remember there was this cool 
story that I read, I think in like guitar magazine around that time when I started to learn how to play guitar that, um, uh, they definitely don't make these anymore or they they might who knows but um they were like little tiny pocket amplifiers that ran on i think like a nine volt battery and they would stick them in a empty uh cigarette pack like cigarette pack um i'm not endorsing smoking listeners of this podcast but um but it had like you know like a really kind of kind of like small but like blown out and really unique sound and um i remember reading that one of the things that he did for rec- when he was recording that first foo fighters record was that he's just like strung like 50 of those things together um to make it sound like this like just like a, such such a cool idea um yeah so i also obviously you know listeners of this podcast we know I'm, i love nirvana huge lifelong nirvana fan you know greg and i our band used to cover nirvana um a really important band for me i love dave Grohl's other projects i remember the probot record was really cool like there was like that song with lemmy and like wino was on there the queens of the stone age album he was on was great i love the nine inch nails record he was on that them crooked vultures record was really tenacious d tenacious d yeah exactly exactly he was on Um, i think he's on all the records on drums yeah i know he's on at least the first two yeah yeah so like i would i would love to like hang out with Dave Grohl like I think like he would just be like just his opinions on music like I completely agree with um that said I'm not too hot on this record um and haven't really been too hot on the Foo Fighters after that uh, the first album that came out The Color and the Shape I have like you know some songs that I'm into but some tracks that's what people say like some tracks some tracks couple, couple tracks couple tracks yeah a couple couple two tree tracks um <laughs> i don't want to get into uh too much um which i'll i guess we can get get more into that later but that's sort of my background with foo fighters my background with this record um so i would say if this came out in 2011 and what the first foo fighters are come out 94 95 yeah. 95 yeah in fact, it just had it it just had its 25th anniversary over wow. the summer Gosh. Which is crazy. Yeah, that's wild. So there's about, you know, 15 years of my falling out of love with the Foo Fighters by the time this record came out. Okay, fair enough. So for me, I can't understate, wait, no, I can't overstate the uh, importance of Dave Grohl. Um, you know, I've talked about maybe on the first episode, like my favorite band is REM, but that's because they're the first like thing I got into on my own, but Nirvana changed the game for me. Like if I didn't hear REM, I would have never gotten into Nirvana. And then when I heard Nirvana, you know, I was 10 years old, which is crazy because I have a 10 year old and I can't imagine him having this experience. Like, I don't know if kids have these kind of experiences anymore with music because things are just so different. But like when I heard Nirvana, it, it like, rock my world to the point where I I had to know everything you know I had to read every interview I'm 10 years old reading like spin you know and like my mom got Rolling Stone for some reason and I would read Rolling Stone and any uh, you know looking for anything about Nirvana and then through Nirvana you know I find out about Dave Grohl and you find out he played you know in a band one of my favorite hardcore bands of all time is a band called scream yeah that he awesome. played in and now he doesn't necessarily i like the stuff he plays on 
their best records were from before he joined. Yeah. I think even he would say that, but that opened my eyes to like discord records, Fugazi, minor threat, rights of spring, embrace dag nasty stuff that I still love to this day that influenced me. So there's yeah. like that aspect of it. Now, I got out of Nirvana for a little bit, like after, you know, when I got super into punk and Kurt Cobain died. Um, and then this Foo Fighters record came out and I sort of just, the, not this one, um, the self-titled. Yeah. With the, with the, yeah. like, with, with the, the, like, the gun on the front. Yeah. Uh, that came out, I was like 14 and I justified getting into that because he, even though they're not on the album, one of my top favorite bands of all time is a band called Sunny Day Real Estate. Yep. As we all know, you know, most people know he, I don't want to say took because the band was done, but he, the rhythm section of Sunny Day Real Estate played on, uh, you know, the tour for that first Foo Fighters album. So I was like, well, that's cool. Like it gave him some little bit more cred uh, in my mind. Now I love Nirvana. Like after a while I got back in Nirvana, but Dave, has just done so many cool things. We already mentioned a bunch. He played on a blast record, like that they that came out like a couple years back. Yeah. Um, he's been in the Descendants documentary talking about Descendants. He he's just a dude where like people hate him for some reason, and I I truly think it's just because they're jealous because he kind of gets to have his cake and eat it too. Yeah, he's I a celebrity. Um, you know, he's rich but he gets to fucking jam with Chuck Dukowski and, and, and play on a blast record. Yeah. And he gets to talk about the descendants and he gets to hang out with Ian Mackay at the discord house when he's in DC and, you know, bring Bob on tour. Like he gets yep. to do all these things, but still be Dave Grohl. Uh, yeah, totally. And I, I, I'm, I'm not unsympathetic to that critique of Dave Grohl, but um, I want to present listeners of this podcast with a critique of this album in particular that's slightly more nuanced than just your run-of-the-mill uh, Dave Grohl hating. Because um, I don't hate right. Dave Grohl, right? I think, that, I think that he's super cool. I actually think that this album is a very cool idea. I think that it's awesome that he, he did not forget his roots. Um, I won't like name drop any, but I can think of plenty of bands that were sort of punk adjacent or came from that scene and then just like didn't don't mention it, don't like wear, you know, t-shirts, like don't don't um try to kind of promote um other bands that are connected to that. Yeah, um, he, he picked generally. up the ball. He he really picked up the ball from Nirvana and ran with it. And the fact that, you know, and he talks about this in the filmage. Yeah. Starting another band after you're in a successful band is hard. Yeah. And he talks about that in back and forth as well um, in the documentary that came out around the time of this record. Yeah. Yeah. Which uh, I haven't viewed in a while. And I was talking to Jude before we recorded and I was like, I got to watch that. Cause I remember it was really cool. So I guess real quick, we'll do a brief rundown of the Foo Fighters. So 1995 uh, they released their debut album self-titled. Um, and it's just Dave Grohl on the whole album. Yeah. Uh, the only extra, um, the only extra member at that point, we're not even a member. The only extra um, appearance by anybody 
um, was by Greg Dooley from Afghan Wigs, like plays lead guitar on the track. Huh, I didn't know uh, that. On that. That's it. It's all huh. him. He drums, he plays bass. You know, he, he in, didn't intend it, I think, to be what it ended up becoming. Yeah. He was so, just like, had songs and he just needed Nirvana right. was over. He just needed an outlet, like something to focus his time on. From and he did this demo in 1992, maybe, while Nirvana was like peak called yeah. Pocket Watch. Yeah, that's got um, like Marigold on it, right? Right. So it's yeah. like it's it's like a precursor to Foo Fighters. Um, so then he's he's got to form a band, you know, he wants to play this stuff. He realizes that like he can't just wallow in the fact that Kurt Cobain's dead, Nirvana's done. You know, he's I mean, you got to look, man. He was 25 years old when Nirvana ended. What's he going to do at that point? Like is he going to get a job at like you know, Acme or something right. or so he plays music. And, you know, I know he mentioned too, like people would criticize, Oh, your songwriting sounds like Nirvana. He's like, Oh, you mean like, you know, mel- melody with aggression. He's like, that's, that's me. That's the band. Right. That's the like, band. I'm in like, that's who I, the music I play. Yeah. Right. And by his influences, he's not bullshitting. So he puts together a band with um, Pat Smear, mm-hmm. who is, you know, uh, I think about like 10 years older than Dave Grohl. Yeah. He played in the germs. Right. Uh, and he of course we know he played Nirvana at the end. Um, and uh, Nate Mendel on bass, who is still, well, Pat plays with him too now, but mm-hmm. Nate Mendel has been with him the entire time. He's on every album besides this first one. Mm-hmm. Uh, Nate Mendel, one of my favorite things Nate Mendel played on besides Sunday Day Real Estate is he was on a record by a band called Brotherhood, um, which was a straight edge band mm-hmm. from Seattle uh, in the late 80s. Uh, they have a record. They had a seven inch and a demo, I think, comp tracks. It's all compiled on a 12 inch on Southern Lord. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know if it's still in print, but it's probably very easy to find. So uh, if you like hardcore, you should definitely get that record because it's great. And I think he wrote the liner notes for it, too. Um, but he played, he plays bass on the record, but like he wasn't in the band after that. He, I think he, I think he might've like gotten kicked out cause he was wearing a no effects t-shirt or something. Huh. Like I'm not, I'm, that's not a joke. I think he mentions it in the notes, but, um, so they get him and they get William Goldsmith who drummed for Sunday Day Real Estate. Yeah. So the real um, Yeah. And then they toured, they actually toured, their first tour was in the spring of 95 before the album came out with Mike Watt. Yeah. And Hovercraft. So Eddie and Vedder. Eddie Vedder. Yeah. So it was like, and they played in Philadelphia here. They played the Trocadero. It was like right after I went to my first show. That's wild. Which was Fugazi, you know? And again, right. I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have gotten into Fugazi if I didn't know Nirvana and Kurt Cobain didn't scrawl uh, Fugazi on his sneakers. And then finding out Dave had that connection too. So, yeah. you know, it's, it's, I can't, I, again, I can't overstate the importance. So then the next record uh, that comes out is 1997, an album called The Color and the Shape. Mm-hmm. Color spelled in the uh, British way with the, the U mm-hmm. in it. Um, and that has um, Dave, Pat Smear, Nate Mandel. William plays drums on like two songs on the record but then famously you know dave wasn't happy with his drumming yeah kicked him out 
kind of unceremoniously. Well, you watched the documentary. Yeah, Talk about that. yeah, exactly. So you I, watched they, it recently as well. Yeah. So they they did sessions with Gil Norton, right? The, the who is you know best known for producing the Pixies, um, and uh, the way that it's described is that Gil Norton sort of really pushed them as a band. You know, some producers will kind of take a kind of more backseat kind of role. And I think Gil Norton kind of took a little bit more like, like Steve Albini, for example, is like, like historically known to like, he's like, I just, he's like, I just hit the record button. He's like, and what your band sounds like, that's what you're going to get. Right. Um, it sounds like Gil Norton had a little bit more of a, um, active, uh, maybe, um, you know, at times could be perceived as an antagonistic role. And um, also you got to remember like Nate Mandel and William Goldsmith had been in Sunny Day Real Estate, which is an amazing band, but they like, this was like, there was like producers like at the Foo Fighters record, like, you know what I mean? Like this is like the, they're in the big leagues now. So, and um, there was just a significant amount more pressure around the recording process. So obviously not only is Dave Grohl like known as at the time, like one of the best drummers in rock and roll and like still to this day, you know, Um, but uh, that there was, there's also kind of speculation, right. That like, there was maybe some like, like label or like producer kind of like push to kind of get Dave, Dave playing drums on this. Like they, they wanted not William Goldsmith, but the, when in the documentary, when they talk about them kicking William Goldsmith out of the band, it actually kind of reminded me of, um, when Sugar broke up and how Bob Mould kind of like, he was like, I don't know how to break up with people. Like Dave Grohl in the back and forth, he was like, I still like am not okay with that. He's like, I know that William Goldsmith will never want to talk to me again. Oh, he's, not- he's very bitter. I mean, you know, sometimes they say like time heals all wounds, but I've listened to, there was a podcast uh, called the, Tra- there's a, there is a podcast called the trap set. Yeah. Where, really um, he inter- the guy interviews drummers and he interviewed William Goldsmith. And I got to say like some people will mince words. He didn't mince words and no. his thoughts on not only the demise of Sunny Day real estate twice, but um, no th- thrice, oh. uh, but, but the, de- the demise of, you know, his relationship with who fighters. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess whereas like Malcolm Travis and Bob mold, like eventually, you know, and, um, David Barbie kind of, kind of, you know, reconciled to an extent. Um, it reminded me a little bit of that, that yeah, I can see that it's, I mean, and it's gotta be a bummer for Nate. And I know there was a point in the documentary they talk about, I don't know if you got to it where Nate considered and may have quit. Yeah. Sunny day got back together in 1998. Yeah. He was going to play with them. Do that again. Like these, these are my old friends, you know, what am I doing? Blah, blah, blah. And he had this whole crossroads. Um, but yeah, color and the shape comes out. And that was the one for me. Mm. Did you have something to add? No, I was just going to say kind of, so I, I neglected to say this, I, but uh, to circle back to the, the difficulty of the recording process of the color and the shape, Gil Norton famously referred to uh, William Goldsmith and Nate Mendel during that recording session as the rhythmless section. Um, so just crazy. To yeah, I know. I know. Yeah. Yeah. Like that stinks. <laughs> I know it's got to hurt, but like, you know, um, this record comes out and this was the one that hooked me because I love the production. Like 
Gil Norton. I love the Pixies. Yeah. But this takes that Pixies, like, tromplemond, you know, sound. Yeah. And just ratchets yes. it up. I mean, the guitars are so, like, this one's more, like, sugary sounding. Totally. Uh, both, both as a, you know, describing the band Sugar and just, like, it has this saccharine kind of sound to it. Um, full disclosure, this is my favorite Foo Fighters record, The Color and the Shape. Um, and I think the addition of like actually having a band minus Nate, uh, helped on the record. It makes it feel more like a real album. Yeah. Or minus and William. That's why, or minus, yeah, William, sorry, yeah. not Nate. Um, and like the thing that was cool about this album was it actually came into our scene, the hardcore scene and influenced. Um, I remember reading an interview with the band fast break. And they were talking, you know, they did their last record where they really brought up the melody. It was much more poppy. Mm -hmm. And they were like, oh, well, we don't listen to, you know, Gorilla Biscuits anymore. We're listening to Foo Fighters' new record, which is yeah. Color and Shape. Um, Chris Conley from Saves the Day uh, talked about on Through Being Cool how, like, he was very influenced by the songwriting and the structures and the recording of uh, Color and the Shape. So it kind of had this, like, to me it had this foot in that whole emo hardcore yeah. scene to it like it's like a major label version of that i mean everlong i would put up with as one of the you know great songs yeah. of that kind of genre yeah absolutely. so you know he uh nate's gone i keep saying nate <laughs> sorry nate if you're listening um william william it's like gone. the monty python sketch like i'm not dead yet <laughs> William's gone. They get a drummer named Taylor Hawkins. Yeah. Who's also still with them to this day. Phenomenal, Phenomenal drummer. Band. Um, he was in, yeah, he played with Alanis Morissette. Um, he, uh, he was a guy. So it's funny. Cause you got Pat Smear from the germs, William from his thing. And then you have uh, Taylor Hawkins, who I don't, I don't reckon. You mean, him. sorry. You mean Nate? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Did I say William again? <laughs> I must, William, it was really nothing. <laughs> um so you know nate nate had the sunny day and brotherhood and all that and what galleon galleon's lap was one of the bands he was in like they were like a seattle hardcore band or something no christ on a crutch i don't know there's a bunch of them. anyway uh taylor didn't come from like the punk scene to my knowledge like because when you watch that documentary for sonic highways like he was learning all this stuff about dc scene like that like blew his mind because again he i don't he didn't come from that world whereas the other guys did yeah so uh you know he joins the band and then uh they they do a tour for color and the shape um i think they toured with rocket from the crypt a little bit which is cool because i love yeah. rocket from the crypt um 1999 uh or no i'm sorry 90 so they they do the 97 right 97 yeah they do uh, a performance at, so the album comes out, I think in May and then in September, they do a performance at the video music awards Remember on the rooftop. Yep. And Pat Smear plays a song and then announces that was my last Foo Fighters show. He comes off and then Franz Stahl uh, from scream mm -hmm. who Dave played with in scream plays guitar. So again, the hardcore guy in me was like amped. Franz Stahl was like, Ghost Snake too is that right? Uh, Pete was his brother. Pete was gotcha. His older brother Pete sang for sings for Goat Snake. Yeah, um, they're a great so band too. Yeah, they are. And there Pete, was 
Southern Lord? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Pete is a phenomenal vocalist, too. Mm-hmm. Um, so listen to Scream, if you haven't. Wool, um, right? One for both and Wool. And together. Wool. Yeah, Dude, they were in Wool together. Yes, Wool is awesome. And Wool had um, Chris Bratton from Chain of Strength and Inside Out on drums. On, in the in the if I'm remembering correctly, um, in the one of the photos in the first Foo Fighters record, he's um, I think he's holding like a distortion pedal or something like that, and he's wearing the wool T-shirt. It's the cool cigarettes. Yep. Off, right. Yep. Yeah. Um, so Pat Smear gets off. Franz Stahl. Uh, Stahl, you know, joins the band, and again, I'm I'm stoked because I love Scream and yeah. wool and everything. So um, he's in the band for like two, almost two years. And then um, for whatever reason, things didn't work out with him. I I truly forget why. And that also had to be hard for Dave because like Scream started his whole trajectory uh, in music. And, you know, luckily he's still cool with those guys to this day. So that's a whole you know, it's a little bit different than the situation with William. Um, so do you remember Jude when around the time of there's nothing left to lose, which is comes out in 99, right before that comes out there, they auditioned guitar players. They held like an open audition. Did you know this? Oh, no. So I remember it was on MTV news they um i bet you some crazy people, people. Like some awesome people came out some uh norman brannan from texas is the reason i believe whoa. auditioned um sean lopez from far whoa auditioned i think um and they ended up uh replacing pat's or i'm sorry replacing franz with a guitarist named chris shiftlet who from, also came from yeah. the punk scene yeah. he was in no for i was gonna say no for an answer no use for a name Right. <laughs> uh, on, on fat record. So yeah. he joins the band, but he's not on the album. Uh, There's nothing left to lose, uh, which comes out in 99. Learn to fly is like a huge hit. Yeah. Remember Jack Tenacious, Black's in the video. Yeah, Tenacious yeah. D guys were in the video. So that was cool. Um, and I think Franz plays on only one studio song of Foo Fighters. Hmm. I think he plays on the song from uh, speaking of Jack Black from Orange County. Okay. I forget what the song's called, um, and I'm not even going to bother to look it up, but it, it was on that soundtrack, and I think that's the only one. Or maybe it's the only one. Or he's, in the, he's in a couple videos. So they do There's Nothing Left to Lose. Uh, that was the first time I saw them was they played a venue here called The Electric Factory, okay. um, and it was awesome. Queens of the Stone Age opened up. That must have been a great show for that time. Yeah, it was when Rated R was new. Oh, man. So that was cool. Electric Factory, if people know, is a relatively small, uh, seatless venue, general admission. Yeah. So it was cool. Um, switched so then, to, now it's Franklin Music Hall. Well, now it's, now it's now just it's a nothing. big, empty space. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so then next is 2002. They do an album called One by One, um, which is often regarded even by Dave Grohl. He kind of thinks it's like, sort of a throwaway mm. like that there's like four really good tracks and then it was sort of thrown together it's the first album with chris uh Shiflet, um and it is the uh they have raymond pettibone from 
you know, yeah. who did all that art for SST. He does the cover. Yeah. So my interest was again peaked. I'm like, oh, that's cool. I actually um, didn't know that. I mean, I I know who Pettibone is, but I didn't know that he did that. It's got it's got some tracks. Couple it's, tracks. It's got, yeah, it definitely has a couple tracks, but it's it really is like not. I, I think I just got muted. Did I not? Yeah, you, yeah. Greg's got a little keyboard cat. Actually, so you my, have your yeah. you have your cat in the background, the and my cat just muted us. <laughs> yeah, We're keeping cats, this in, folks. Yeah. So um, <laughs> they're either so big one, Foo Fighters fans or they don't like them. That we can't yes. tell. <laughs> so one by one comes out. Then I saw him again at the Electric Factory. Did you ever see him live? I never saw him live. You saw him. Did you? Get, didn't you see him for free in the like 2002-ish, well, three-ish range? One by One came out and they did this thing on MTV called the um, $2 Bill shows where they would, awesome. would do this show that was filmed and it cost two bucks to get in. So uh, I saw Foo Fighters that way too. I don't believe there was an opener either. Like they, um, they just played a full set too. It wasn't I'm, like... Yeah, I remember that night because you met like I, I if I'm remembering. I went to Funrama after. We came to there was a show at Funrama, which was a basement venue that I lived in. It was basically like a punk squat house. Robbie Redcheeks used to kind of run a record label out of it, Dead by Twenty Three. I lived in it for a little bit, um, but you came. There was a show there that night. I think like Frostbite maybe played. I was gonna say I wish I remembered the yeah. show. Damage yeah, two like, probably which was, played because we which played was crazy night, that but. the Foo Fighters show was over that early. I know. Oh, yeah, but because they were the filming Rama, it. Yeah, the Fun Rama set had to have ended before the noise ordinance. So you got yeah. you had so much rock and roll going on that night. Seriously, to be young again. So then they do um, 2005, they do an album called In Your Honor. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the I hate to say gimmick, but it was like, this is where really they started to be like, we got to have, we got to have a, a, like something to make it stand out. And I get that as an artist. Yeah. Um, so this one was one di- instead of doing like a hybrid of f- aggressive rock and then more like acoustic type songs, they did a double album. So the first disc is like standard Foo Fighters Fair, and then the second disc was like unplugged. Yeah. So then 2006, they actually did. It's not considered an album, but they did um, an album. Uh, where they did a lot of songs acoustic, um, and they even did a uh, they did a tour for it. So that that record was called Skin and Bones. That comes out in two thousand six, um, and Pat Smear returns as like an auxiliary member at this point. Uh, you know, and he, he's playing with them, and I think they do Marigold on it, if I'm not mistaken yeah um which like, like so they they would on their first tour people would you know before anybody knew the foo fighter songs people would just shout out marigold because they knew that and they would they would never play it yeah so it was a big deal that he was he was doing that um so then 2007 reunites uh them with uh gil norton so it's like 10 years you know like a 10-year class reunion uh, that album's called Echoes, Silence, and Grace. Some cool tracks on that, too. Um, then we have today's record, Wasting Light, comes out in 2011, so I won't say anything else about that for now. Um, 2014, they do the documentary we touched on called uh, Sonic Highways. Did you watch any of that? On I actually show? didn't see that. I have to. I've, I remember when it came out, 
I remember I wanted to see it. I I think it was on like HBO. Is that right? Yeah. So Dave Grohl had this vision of like, you know, I want to make a documentary about the different, you know, America has this rich history of music and studios. You know, a lot of studios where stuff happened and the concept's incredible. He basically yeah. makes this documentary. There's, uh, there's eight episodes. Uh, he does like, uh, you know, New York city, DC. He goes mm-hmm. to inner ear with Don Z and Tara. That's right. Like every Z and Tara. I think it's Z and I don't know. I don't know Z how to pronounce it, yeah. but he's awesome. Someone knows. Tell us. Yeah. I mean, he did freaking every like legendary discord release almost was done at that studio. Um, so what Dave, and Foo Fighters did is they went to the studio, they talked with like the engineers and the people, they talked with the artists, and then they would write a song and record it in that studio. And the song would have like little nods to like quotes that, um, you know, people said in the episode that inspired Dave. Um, I mean, as an album itself, it's like kind of like whatever, but when you tie it in with the concept, it's cool. Yeah. And then their most recent one came out in 2017. Um, and it's called concrete and gold. Um, I was really amped for this one cause I liked all the singles from it. Yeah. There's a song called run, which has a really funny video of them, like in an old folks home. Nice. Um, and I forget, I forget the other songs. But I was like, oh, this is going to be great. And then the singles were clearly the best stuff on the album. Gotcha. Um, so I was a little bit bummed. I- I'd revisit it, though. So I guess that brings us to yeah. this Wasting Light. So-, so, yeah, which I'm super – before we get into the track by track, right? So since we've kind of, like, laid out Dave Grohl's roots, like his, like, you know, um, I would say appreciated and admirable – efforts to connect people from like the smaller music scenes into his like bigger music scene world and to like always make references to that. I think that's awesome. Um, I think that my one gripe particularly with this record is sort of if the, the common gripe is sort of like, that'll do Dave Grohl, right? Like just the, with his riffs, his references to his influences and just like with everything, I think it's super, super cool that he never forgot his roots. And that he's I like everything we just talked about that he's always turning younger generations of music listeners onto bands, like where the progenitors of certain scenes like influenced him, right? Um, the descendants, for example, right? Um, but, and I also think it's, it's cool, right. Um, that he's kind of trying to turn like arena rock into like one big community, right. Kind of like, I don't know, like Bob Mould, like starting reflex records, right. Like he's kind of like, everybody's doing awesome stuff. Let's shine a spotlight on that as much as possible. But like, yeah, I, almost, I, I know what you mean. I kind of have like a, you know, like the Polly Walnuts character from the Sopranos, like he'll like tell a joke and I'll be like, did you hear what I said T? Like, you know what I mean? Like, it's like, okay, Dave Grohl, like we get it. <laughs> well, I know I've seen um, like, might've been like Brian Walsby who like does, he does like, he's an artist. He designed like seven seconds, walk together, rock together. He does a lot of work for the Melvins and he's made a lot of fun of Dave Grohl. Um, yeah. for kind of the reasons you stated. I mean, I think people's, a lot of people's big gripe with him is that he's one of those dudes where like, he's a fan of everything. Yeah. Like everything's the best. Like if he's inducting Rush into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, which he did, 
Rush is the best. If he's talking about playing on the Blast record, Blast is the best. You know, yeah. if he's talking about them crooked vultures, Led Zeppelin were the best thing ever. So it's like, but I get, I get it. He's psyched, and but I think he also comes across like a true music fan. Yeah, because we all kind of do that hyperbole yeah. where this is one of my favorite records. Well, okay, how many favorite records do right. you have? Five hundred. Yeah, you know? our close friend of the of you know of me and Greg, listener of the pod, um, Donnie. Like he he was like, what what is every Who's Your Doing replacements record your favorite Who's Your Doing replacements record? Right. Because um, so that's kind of and, what I how I see Grohl. Yeah, and like I I totally agree, and like it's appreciated. Like, and I I totally get it. Um, but like, if we were friends, I would almost want to be like at ease, soldier. Like, it's okay. Like, you don't need to prove yourself. <laughs> we get it. Yeah. Like it's it's. TV party is an awesome song. Like it's okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, I, I see what you mean. So like with this album, this was like one of these milestone records for them. So I'll do another full disclosure. This is my second favorite Foo Fighters. Whoa. I, I will, I will listen to this one before even the debut. I would probably put the, the, maybe put the debut at, at third. Um, I don't think they have any bad records. I think even their, you know, ones, like I said, at least there's a few tracks on them. I'm like, okay, this is cool. So this one comes out 20 years after Nevermind, which is, um, which uh, is crazy because now yeah. it's been almost 30 years. Um, and it reunites Dave with Butch Vig, who produced Nevermind, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. as well as so many other incredible records. Um, and Dave wants to do something a little different. So... Instead of going into the studio and using all this digital technology and pro tools, they go in and record it on analog tape, which the CD came with a piece of the actual tape, like in the booklet. Yeah. Um, they, they go record on analog equipment um, and record it in Dave Grohl's garage. Now, granted, I don't even have a garage. Do you? No. But let's say I had a garage, which I had at my parents' house. No studio I put in there is going to be like a studio that Dave Grohl puts in there. So it's not like – it doesn't sound like the Bad Brains Roar cassette. I mean, right. you would – I'd argue in listening to this, you would never know that, one, it was done analog. Like it's more of like a – again, I feel like with each – Foo Fighters record that's come out in recent times, there's always been like a, a again, I hate to use the term gimmick, but there's been like a gimmick. Whether yeah, it was, like hey, there's or like, yeah, right. some additional layer to, to what, like, we're going to have one record acoustic and one electric, or we're going to do a documentary and do every song, or we're going to do, um, you know, everything on, on analog. So that was the whole story with, with, with this album. Um, yeah, is that he went with Butch Vig, uh, but to me, it's just a great Foo Fighters album. Um, one of the things, the reason that I chose this as kind of our first real like detour is, and I talked with Jude about it. I would argue that this record was a real impetus to get Bob on his like. I mean for the merge era right. we'll call it yeah. the you know you get Sil- silver, silver agent on exactly um which you know now he's had five albums on merge and they're all just stellar mm-hmm. 
Now, I love the two records. Before, well, I love all. The, I love all Bob solo yeah. stuff pretty much. Modulate is sometimes a bit tough to digest. But Life and Times and District Line, they're great. Right, like but those ones are great, but they're not. They're they're a different kind of great mm-hmm. than the merge stuff. You yeah. know what I mean? Like yeah. the merge stuff was like Bob really being like, you know what? I'm really good at super loud guitar and melody and, and you know hooks. Yeah, that's what I'm good at. The 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 anti stuff was a little more like on the alternative rock side. Yeah, and it's freaking great. I can't wait to yeah, and even body a song for that. Like yeah, where there's like occasional like kind of vocoder flourishes and stuff. And agreed. Yeah, like body a song was like bridging the gap between mm-hmm. like you know the merge era and modulate. Yeah, you know sort of. But so what happened is they recorded this album. There's a track three on the album, which well, we'll do the track by track, so we'll get a little more deep. But Bob Mould plays guitar on and uh, sings mm-hmm. some uh, vocals on the song Dear Rosemary. Mm-hmm. Um, and then what Dave did is they did the tour, and he's like, come along on the tour, Bob. So Bob Mould Band uh, opens up for a bunch of dates with Foo Fighters, and Bob plays you know, the Dear Rosemary, when that song comes up, he comes on stage and does his part. Um, he even comes on the late night shows and plays with them. Like, and that's freaking cool, man. That is cool. That's Again, literally like, Dave him, like, here's yeah, my that's, roots, man. Like, that's I'm not Dave being it. like, you know, Dave, Dave is acknowledging that like this man set the fucking template yeah. for what I'm doing. Like if it wasn't for Zen Arcade, yeah, you're not getting the color and the shape. Mm-hmm. Really, you're 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 probably not even getting Nirvana. You know, I mean, yeah. like and and all that, and and I think that's cool. And then so he does this album. Then, in later 2011, well, his book comes out. So he's you know, there's I would say the Wasting Light, the Bob book. And then third would be the tribute concert that was yeah. at Disney, which you can see footage on YouTube where different artists cover to him. And then at the end, Bob gets up with Worcester and Dave Grohl and play stuff. Um, I think all that brought us to Silver Age. Yeah. You know, Bob, Bob's a dude that he's not necessarily known too much for looking back, but he, you know, talked about how all these things you know, going on tour with Foo Fighters and realizing like, this is what I do. This is, this is my skill set. Yeah. Um, I think is why we got Silver Age and then everything after that, which I'm thankful for. And I really yeah. think that this record, Wasting Light, played a part in it. So Yeah, kickstarted all of it. Do you want to talk about the songs? The only thing I want to say before we get into the track by track, and I want to make it like crystal clear that I don't, I don't want to present the argument that I hate Dave Grohl because I don't, I think he's awesome. And I don't want to present the argument that I'm like too cool for the Foo Fighters. Um, So something that stands out to me upon careful listening to this album is that Dave Grohl is writing arena rock. And I think that he's exceptional at writing arena rock, but arena rock's just not really my thing. Right. Right. I mean, you can't fake the funk. Exactly. Exactly. So I just, I want to be fair when I'm critiquing it is that I don't want to hold this to the same level that I would hold like I don't know even like a Bob Mould record or something or like you know um I don't know um 
or another contemporary band that I'm really yeah, like he's like a small small venue band that I like a lot. Like this is an arena rock record. Like there's parts on here that are like Led Zeppelin parts and like Queen parts and stuff like that. Yeah, like he's writing songs knowing that they're going to be playing Wembley Stadium exactly, and people are going to be bouncing in, in, with the music and right. singing along, you know, with the choruses and all that. Like he's not, you know, he knows what he's doing. Yeah. And final final statement before we get into the track by track, but um, any f- listeners of the podcast who are fans of the uh, uh, Ohio band Ringworm, um, uh, the singer for that band, uh, the Human Furnace, uh, wrote a, a article about how he's like a huge, unabashed Foo Fighters fan. I love Ringworm. Yeah, which makes I love Ringworm too. Which yeah. makes sense because they're also into Kiss. Which uh, I love Kiss. Yeah, see, I hate them. Ki- I'm sorry. You don't, you don't like Kiss. And <laughs> yeah. to me, Kiss are the same thing. Kiss know what their fans want to hear. Uh, I mean, now they've had a bunch of detours. But <laughs> at, at the end of the day, they know what their fans want and they give it to them. And that's why people love them. Yeah. And it's the same thing with the Foo Fighters. He knows what your average – you know, he's not writing to impress Jude and Greg who, you know – listen to youth of today and right. you know uh chromags he's if we're come along for the ride awesome yeah he's writing for like the dude and or the the the, the gal that goes to one concert a year yeah in the summertime and they want to have a good time that's, and that's i think it's super cool that he's he's doing that in a way that is like trying to encourage that person to listen to discord records for example Right, like when they played up in New York, uh, he had like Earl and and Doctor No from Bad Damn. Brands play a song. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, that's cool. You know, yeah. a, a lot of these, a lot of bigger bands that came from this, um, aren't necessarily doing that. I love Goo Goo Dolls, even their new stuff. Goo Goo Dolls aren't doing that. You know what I mean? Yeah. They're not. They're not. Uh, well, you know what? They brought beach slang out on tour, so what do I? Yeah, know? Maybe they're trying now, but you know, uh, just they're not. But that's a Dave Grohl, like he Nirvana did that. They wore so many right. shirts. Yep, that got me into so many bands, and I think more bigger bands need to take a cue from that yeah. and get kids into cool shit. So finally, maybe we should get into the track by track. Yeah. It's funny. This will probably be the longest episode we've had. <laughs> oh, by the way, I do want to throw out Dave Grohl. If you are listening, or if someone knows Dave Grohl, get him in touch with us. We would love to talk to him about Husker Du. Yes. Uh, and or the replacements. Um, so seriously, Dave Grohl, we're putting out in the universe. We know you do a lot of cool shit like this. This is an unheard of. I saw you do. I saw you, Dave. I'm watching. I saw you on Instagram when that guy kept saying that he wanted to jam with you and you did an Instagram live. I know you can do it. Someone get this to Dave Grohl. Yeah, we would love it, please. So track one, Bridge Burning. What are your thoughts on this, Greg? Oh, what a friggin' opener. He So he has one of the best screams. I mean, coming from someone who arguably in like the pantheon of big rock 
Mm-hmm. Like, I'm not talking about hardcore. Like Kurt Cobain had an incredible scream, yeah. like you know, on Milk It and uh, Negative Creep. But when this kicks in and he, he says, "These are my famous last words," like the first time I heard that, I got goosebumps. It just such a high adrenaline opening track. Yeah. Um, and it's I can't think of another a better way to open this record. Yeah. Yeah, it's a it's definitely and like it's got some really cool riffs in it. I do hear like a lot of the Bob influence in the songwriting. Um uh yeah, just particularly like the the song structure itself. Um the uh that opening riff kind of remind the do 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 like that kind of build up. Yeah. It's good. It kind of reminds me of the like red hot chili peppers all around the world. I can see that. Um you know, which it is just purely an objective thing that I I see I can feel hear like what not even a critique but um yeah so I, I want to when we get especially into the next song I want to talk a little bit about about that about those screams um it's a very distinct scream for sure yeah so I, I initially kind of thinking about his references you know um I thought he says uh, dance of days in this one I was like Led Zeppelin reference but that's actually dancing days um, or is it an embrace reference? Right, exactly. Yeah. You know, and, and I thought that too. And, and on, I think, uh, times like these, he says, I'm a new day rising right. from, you know, from a previous record, uh, yeah. one by one. But he, he always, like, he leaves those little breadcrumbs there that make a nerd like me stoked for 30 seconds when I hear yeah. it and then I forget about it. Um, but yeah, it's cool. This, I mean, what an opener. Yeah. Um, I'd like to see this song one minute shorter, but then again, I'm not an arena rock guy. <laughs> so how about run? Not um, run. Uh, I'm thinking of, because yeah, we were talking about the other single. Yeah. So yes. Yeah, so the next track rope, I think these riffs are really cool. Um, particularly like the, uh, that little noodly part that transitions from the, the, that cycles the main riff, like back into itself. The um, This one, I feel like musically there's the dance of days, right? The um, uh, embrace reference in the other song. This one's kind of got that like musical reference to like the, they do like the Moby Dick part where they like do the breaks with like the, the drum solo things. Um, I feel like there's a couple of yells in this song, a couple, a couple Dave Grohl screams. Yeah, I'm trying to think like, so this was the lead off single. Okay. Um, for and good reasons. It's, but it's also a weird song for a single. Yeah. Like it's not that whole, the, the verses, like you said, are kind of off. I don't want to say off time, but like a weird, you know, weird time and like yeah. do all this stuff. And I didn't pick up the Led Zeppelin, but that's because I don't really listen to Led Zeppelin. Like yeah. I, I respect Led Zeppelin. I have no, but like, I'm not really a huge fan. Um, but yeah, the drum the, the the drum fills and everything but this has uh, just a the chorus is incredible yeah there's that really cool guitar solo that sounds like um he's using maybe like a zvex fuzz factor or some kind of envelope filter on it um with a really cool uh yeah a really cool distortion effect on it. yeah yeah that whole thing sounds well, like the speaker is like falling apart yes well, speaking of guitar i guess we should say 
this is the first album that enlists Pat Smear back as a full-time member. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he, he was like an auxiliary uh, on the uh, Echoes Silence record and mm-hmm. I think the acoustic. So he's back on this. Um, so now they have three guitar players like uh, Iron Maiden yeah. um, and Bad Religion. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay. So we talked about Dave Grohl Scream and I do think it's like a distinct, I think it's like almost like one of the instruments on the album where he does those. Yow. Um In this song, I feel like if they did it once, it would be so fucking cool. Um, but I feel like he does it a couple too many times for my taste, but it's like, it stands out for sure. This is kind of a bizarre comparison, but like maybe sort of fitting since I argue that this is a, an arena rock record, but in the Hall and Oates song, you make my dreams come true. There's a bunch <laughs> of, <laughs> bear with me. Hey, we're, we're from the Philly area. Yeah, right. Okay. There's a bunch of like little tiny things that he does in that, that they do in that song and they do it only once. And you're like, Whoa, that was cool. I didn't expect it when he's like, <laughs> uh, listen to this. You know what I mean? Or like, <laughs> yeah. Smith does like a chugga chugga chug like on his guitar, like just one time. And you're like, Oh, I, that stands out to me. Right. Um, but yeah, so I, I love like those little um, like intrusions into the main riff of the song. I, I would love to see them be unique one-time kind of events. Um, so up next is the, I guess the track that's kind of technically yeah. the reason that we're able to, to, to do this record is Dear Rosemary. Mm-hmm. Um, Bob Mould plays on it. It, it has... Um, it doesn't necessarily, and it's funny because it's not like this one is, oh, this is clearly the song that Bob should be on. You know what I mean? Like, if anything, I could have seen him adding to Bridge Burning, yeah, yeah Bridge Burning or something, but it's a great song. Um, supposedly, uh, they, I think Butch Vig didn't want him to play guitar on it. And I oh. think, I, I think, uh, Grohl was like, this is Bob Mould. Like, yeah. he's got to play guitar on it. The fuck, bro. Um, uh, so, yeah, cool song. And, like, you know, you hear Bob's voice there and, yeah. you know, overlapped with, with Kroll. It's, it's cool. Yeah. Yeah, it's a cool song. Rosemary was my grandmother's name. I, I do hear Bob. I kind of think it'd be cooler if Bob sang the whole thing. That would have been cool. Or at least like sang like, uh, you know, more. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I feel like like Converge is a band that does that a lot. Like, like there's a a song on um, Axe to Fall where they have like George from Blacklisted, like sings the chorus of it. Or like um, they, they had the song with like, where the guy from Only Living Witness like yes. sang the entire song, right? And like that only that that was like, whoa! I got to go back and listen to Only Living Witness. Like this is so where it's like clear, like it's like cover Husker Du, by the way. Yeah, so yeah, go. exactly. Um, yeah, no, I I feel you on that. Like I, I wanted more, but I was just glad. I was just glad because same thing. It was like I thought this would be cool if people got into Bob Mould. Yeah, like if like your average per like the, the you know the sort of like jane q music listener that you described earlier who make maybe goes to like one concert a year and it's the foo fighters puts this album on and they're like huh this isn't dave grohl who is this right and they like you know do a little wikipedia and they're like huh let me check out who's Do." yeah like that's cool yeah you know so next is white limo yeah 
What do you think about this one? Here's the post-punk song, right? Like this riff is cool. It's like a Hot Snakes kind of riff, right? Like a kind of yeah. like... Um, kind of a weird vocal thing for this yeah. one. I Okay, so um, I uh, challenge the listener of this song to tally the number of yows in this song, the number of Dave Grohl screams. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, ta- someone tally it and send us a message. Yeah. Um, I feel like the lyric sheet should just be, yow. <laughs> well, that's, it's funny you mentioned lyric sheet. I, so I don't, you know, I don't own this album on vinyl. Um, I had, uh, I bought the CD and then I, you know, I sold my, all my CDs pretty much. But then I got a copy of it. I won in a contest from Blackberry. Oh. Sh- shout out to Blackberry. I, I know, I know uh, of really only one person that still uses a blackberry and i don't know if he's listening but uh <clears throat> my friend ryan rainbro he does meep meep podcast oh yeah uh, which is That's all awesome about roadrunner records yeah he uh is a big blackberry guy so i i won this foo fighters wasting light that's autographed by um you know all five members and i uh, i opened up the booklet this morning because i haven't literally haven't opened this in almost 10 years. Right. And I was like, Oh cool. Like there'll be like the lyrics in here. So I can kind of like reference them. There's no lyrics. And it's like, a, it's like several pages, but it's yeah. just pictures and then uh, album credits at the end. <laughs> so I don't even know what really the lyrics to this song are. Yeah. Uh, it's cool. It's like, this isn't one of my favorite tracks. Spoiler alert. Like, yeah. you know, it, but it's, it's cool. It's a neat way to kind of break up the album and give it a little bit of, um, uh, you know, a little bit of flavor. Yeah. Yeah. It's like attentional bias though, with those yells. Every time I listened to it, I was like, there's more yells. I just caught another yell. Be cool if David Yow played, played, uh, see that that would, and you know what? <laughs> it's not out of the pot. It's not out of the realm of possibility. Nirvana yeah. and Jesus lizard did a split. Yeah. You could, you know, call, call on him for a favor. Yeah. So track five, we got Arlandria. What are your thoughts on this one, Greg? I love this one too. It's just yeah. a, this one's like a classic Foo Fighter song. It starts off the, and then it gets yeah. real quiet. Yeah. And yeah. then, and then it, it picks up. Um, you get Dave screaming, soaring chorus. Mm-hmm. Great song. Yeah. Yeah. The chorus to this song is really solid. Um, yeah, my, my notes just say, oh, we're doing a little loud, quiet, loud action. Here. Yeah, like that's clearly um, what they're doing, you know, what he's doing. Which I guess to come back to the something that we'd said earlier, right, if fans were critiquing Foo Fighters, so that was like, that was, I always think of that song structure as like, oh, that's a Nirvana song, right? They're like going to do the loud part, quiet part, loud part, right? But like fans, criti- I think it's an unfair critique of Foo Fighters to be like, oh, they're just like kind of continuing whatever Nirvana was doing, right? I think that you could make let's be real nirvana didn't invent that either no yeah exactly exactly you know like so yeah but yeah i love this song um i feel like this is this is the kind of record so years ago i used to when up when our old band was together when up was together i used to teach guitar um and this is the i was i had moved on from the profession by the time this record came out, but this is the kind of album that I would have loved to, like if a kid came in with some songs off this, it would be cool. Cause you could be like, here's a part with like some power chords and here's how you play power chords. And this has got like some, like, you know, like a E minor chord, like a, you know, here's how you learn that chord. And like, here's using like this, fe- this like pedal. Right. Like, yeah. Yeah. Like it's, it's, 
this is a great that's a great song yeah um and then up next is these days mm-hmm. this is like another classic foo fighters like um more of a ballad type but it still has the you know the chorus easy for you to say yeah you know this kind of feels like the this was there's enough uh nothing left to lose like b-side to me i yeah i can i can agree with that like this this would have been like like if um if learn to fly came out as a seven inch yeah this could have been uh, a b-side i'm not even saying a b-side in like a for me way yeah derogatory way i'm just saying that uh you know it's not as good of a song as learn to fly um but it definitely has that because they really so when they did the color and the shape i was kind of hoping they kept with that like you know real aggressive loud yeah and they really tapered back on there's nothing left to lose which was a conscious thing dave grohl you know at that time he was like which is laughable to me now right. as i'm pushing 40 but he's like i'm 30 years old like i got you know like age gracefully and this and that or whatever i'm so, trying to do the same thing though like you yeah, know it's i, I feel be... like they do a lot of artists do it yeah well um, that was why in the that was why um initially pat smear quit the band was he was just like i'm out here he was like joking in the documentary he's like foo fighters have played 18,000 shows in 1994 or whatever 1995 you know he was like he's like i can't i'm just like i i'm i'm over it right but then he they keep pulling me back in but then he came back to join the band again right and like so you know the there's nothing left to lose was well oh, man i remember seeing an interview and he he was like um he said something like, you know, color and the shape was like hardcore guys trying to make like a rock record. And then the, you know, there's nothing left to lose was like rock guys making a rock record. Yeah. And frankly, what I liked about Foo Fighters was the hardcore guys making a rock record. That's always more interesting to me. Um, And I think this album at least had a little bit more of that color and the shape spirit at times which i think is why i i rate it so highly yeah um this song these days like i think it's really catchy it doesn't really do much for me like it's not not i don't really have any strong opinions about it um he definitely does the like you know i feel like this is maybe taken from the bob mold playbook i feel like there's a lot of like i feel like he hits that chorus a lot like in this song and in the next one back and forth i feel like he he puts the chorus to work in the song that's yeah I can. and that's so not back, even a critique of it i just feel like it's a so back and forth next uh they named the documentary yeah. after the song um what do you think about this one yeah i think it's a catchy song yeah, i think he, he he takes that you know it's a little cheap trickish almost maybe. i could hear that i could hear like that. like um great song i think catchy mm-hmm. um you know, not too much to add other than that. Yeah. Then we have uh, track eight, A Matter of Time. What are your thoughts on uh, this? This is another, this is a, this is like another classic Foo Fighters sounding song. Like this could have been uh, on Color in the Shape or There's Nothing Left to Lose. You know, the chorus, it's just a matter of time. Mm-hmm. Like that whole thing is just a, 
it's like total Dave Grohl style stuff. Yeah. Yeah. There's like a kind of pre-chorus part where there's like double or I guess maybe triple guitars that are like kind of playing over each other. Kind of reminds me very vaguely of like Don Caballero. Um, just cause it's like half sort of a mathy part. Um, it's a cool song. Yeah. I feel like, I feel like there's a couple extra choruses added to this one too, which, you know, if that's your thing, awesome. Yeah, I agree. So Miss the Misery is next. Um, what do you think about this one? This is an arena rock song. So like, it's a great song for a listener who's not me. <laughs> yeah. Basically. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> See, I like it. It's, it's, an, it's, it's, it's a Foo Fighters song. Like, yeah. I don't really have much else to, to add other yeah. than it's a catchy Foo Fighters song. I will say that I don't, I don't think – there's no tracks I skip on this yeah. for me when I, I could, listen. I, that's, yeah, I could see that. I could see that. And again, like, you know, I, I want to make it clear that I'm not like, fuck this song, fuck this band. Like, I think that, that what he's doing here is really well done. Um, I just have my own idiosyncratic – tastes as a listener and, and apparently they made a this was a single they made a video for huh. it i like the I name of it like that's cool i didn't know that until today because I, I don't i don't and i'm sure you too i don't really pay attention to like videos and singles and stuff you know yeah well i mean now that you know mtv's not right but even like just like like you know a band like foo fighters like we put out a new video i'm not like oh I, like i'm like oh cool whatever yeah you know? um so yeah, Miss the Misery. So up next, I Should Have Known, which features uh, a guest appearance by both Dave and Pat's uh, former bandmate, Chris Novoselic. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is a more moody, the slow jam. lower song. Slow jam, yeah. yeah it's, it's, uh, it's about Kurt Cobain, but it's about loss in general, uh, Dave had mentioned. Um, it's kind of funny, like, you know, Chris plays bass on it, which like, you know, it's bass. But then you clearly hear that one part in the song where they're like, we got to turn the bass all the way up. I know. It like punches through and it's like, part of you's like, this is cool because it's Chris from Nirvana and the other part's like, that's kind of cheesy. Like, we get it. He's on the track. Like, we want to show that he's on it, but. Yeah. That's all I got. Yeah, I guess kind of back to my earlier, like, at at ease, dude. Like, (laughs) But like, you know what I mean? It's like, you almost, you almost can picture in your head, songs going, and then he goes, Chris Novoselic, ladies and gentlemen. And then you hear, boom, 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 boom. You know what I mean? Like, it's, it's a little over the top. But it's yeah. Crazy. Like, I, I could just imagine they're like sitting in the control room, mixing the record and like, you know, whatever, like drinking coffee or something that part comes up and they just like turn the knob on the, on the board, you know, <laughs> turn it up, <laughs> yeah. keep going. So, so then finally, Walk, which was, I think, the second single, if I was reading correctly. Huh. Um, for, for me, Walk, um, as I've talked about on this podcast, I love ending songs that are See, good. We got an anthemic closer here. And this is like an anthem. And the lyrics are really, like, uplifting, I think. Like, it's, it's kind of a, a great way to end the record, um, you know, and, and get you make you want to flip it over if it was vinyl and, and start it over again, you know, and that's, that's what I'm always looking for in a closing track. Like I want, I want an anthem. I want something that, um, you know, just 
makes me realize why I love the record. Yeah. And uh, this is that song. It's not quite as epic as the closing track on my favorite, um, you know, New Way Home, which is like one of my favorite Foo Fighters songs. But it's a good yeah. Good song. Great yeah. song. And and like so 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 you know I, this is like you know the the genre of the anthemic closer right the one that makes you want to flip the record over like you get the sense that when they're writing this record they're like thinking about like not just song structures and like you know melody and stuff like that but they're thinking about the album as a whole unit and like how the the listener is going to going to approach that. There's really good pacing on this record. Um which like, you know, if you're a fan of the band in the songs or not, like, I think that that's one thing you can't, you can't take away from it. Yeah. And it's not, it's not too, like, there's, you know, not too many songs on it. There's 11, I mean, it's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven. 10, 11. There's 11 songs. It's so, it's so funny that you say that. Do you know what just dawned on me? What? The, the um, track that has Bob on it, is track three. Is track three. Oh, yeah. Do you yeah. think Bob was like, we could do it. I'll gladly do it. But the but hot track's got to be track three. three. Yeah. I wonder. Huh. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah, I didn't think of that until now either. But yeah, there's 11 songs. It's under an hour. Yeah. It's not super, you know, over, you know, the, the songs don't go on too long. I know you mentioned, you know, maybe cut a minute off here and there, but it's not like, they're not like eight minute long songs. Right. And, um, and, and I fully admit that that's like my personal annoying tastes as a listener. That's not like what should technically be happening in a rock and roll song. I guarantee you that a majority of our listeners are going to agree with you. <laughs> like I just have that. No, I, I, and, and that's fine. Like, so my question to you is, and be totally honest, would you ever willingly listen to this record again? Meaning like, you'll be like scrolling, you know what, I'm going to put on this entire record. Or would you maybe oh. skip, a, do a couple tracks, you know? If I, I would, I would pull out a, I would pull out one track in particular. Um, maybe put it on like a, like a workout playlist. Okay. So like what's your favorite track? on? If this? I were to pick a song, it would be rope. Good choice. Track two. Um, I wrestled with choosing that, even though it's a single. Um, I didn't know it was the single. See, yeah, let's see. That's cool. So it worked as a single, right? It was the song that, like, yeah. Um, just to be different, because I could take, I could go with rope. I will say bridge burning, just because I love the, I love a good opening song, like we talk about too, like good opening, good closer, and I love that scream, the scream on the first on the first line of the song makes it for me. So I think I'll say a prediction because I know you're not, I I feel that when we talk about hopefully eventually, hopefully sooner rather than later, I feel like when we talk about superstar car wash, we'll be a lot more into that record than this. Okay. Okay. That's my prediction is you'll be like, okay, I see why Greg's so into this record. Got it. Okay. We'll see. That's my take. Cool. So, yeah, I mean, that's, that's pretty much it. We want to, um, you know, thank everybody for uh, listening, uh, subscribing, uh, you know, being a fan of the podcast, engaging with us on social media. Um, we really appreciate it. And we're, we're looking forward to you joining us on our future explorations and detours of this essential Midwestern punk rock. Um, so next time, 
we have, like we talked about at the top of the episode, uh, we're going to dive into Bob Mould's new album, Blue Hearts. There we are. On Merge. Yeah, it just came out. It's the 25th of September. Yeah. Um, Yeah, killer one, man. All right, well, that's it for this week, man. All right, we'll see you. Dude, the weather is like super nice outside. Yeah.